Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Mixed Martial Analysis and this is episode number 40 I believe and uh, today what I want to do is I want to take a look at the uh, the UFC 249 early prelims. Uh, it's been so long since there's been a fight on I figure uh, you know might as well look at the whole card I'll break it up. I think I'm going to break it up into segments and do three different podcasts on the first one this one right here we'll do the early prelims. Um, on the next one we'll do uh the regular prelims on the last one will obviously do the main card, right? But um, on the early prelims, you've got Sam Alvey versus Ryan Spann, light heavyweight bout. Uh, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa, that's a great fight. And number 13 ranked Vicente Luque versus Nico Price. And Vicente Luque is coming off a fight against Wonderboy. And before that, I would have to look. Let me look. I actually have his page pulled up right here. One, two, three, four, five. He was riding a six-fight win streak before his loss to Wonderboy. And... um. You know, Wonderboy is such a hard matchup. He, he's such a difficult matchup for a lot of guys, man. A lot of guys. But Vicente Luque is very good. And this is actually a rematch. These two have fought before. And Luque beat Nico Price. I think he got him with a darsh. So, uh, you know, pretty stat. I mean, a pretty good card already. There's, I mean, every single one of those fights has potential to be really exciting. And then you move on to the prelims. And like I said, I'll cover this one later in the week. I'll probably put another podcast out on Saturday to go over these these fights right here. Kicks off with number 10 ranked Uriah Hall and number 14 ranked Jacare Souza in a middleweight bout. Carla Esparza is taking on Michelle Watterson. That's a top 10 matchup in the women's strawweight division. Alexio Linick is going to be fighting Fabricio Verdum, two of the most accomplished submission artists in UFC history, in MMA history. Uh... And then number six ranked Cowboy Cerrone's fighting number 15 ranked Anthony Pettis in a welterweight bout. So, I mean, that's a great fucking fight. Moving on to the main card. That could be a card. The prelims could be a card. Probably not a pay-per-view, but you could easily put that card on ESPN and people would tune in to watch it and be excited for the main event between Cowboy and Pettis. It's a great fucking card so far. And then you move on to the main card. Greg Hardy's going to kick things off against Jorgen DeCastro. Jeremy Stevens is fighting Calvin Cater. That's a, I love that fight because Jeremy Stevens packs so much fucking power, and he is he's a seasoned veteran. Like sometimes, like people, he leans on his power too much. But if you watch like Jeremy Stevens fight, his game is very well rounded, and Calvin Cater has some of the best boxing, in my opinion, in the featherweight division. So great fucking matchup there, and uh, you know. That, that has potential to be a real barn burner. That's like fight of the night potential right there. Um, Francis Ngannou is fighting Jarzino Rosenstrike. <laughs> I mean, again, man, two guys with incredible knockout power. Great matchup. Heavyweight. I mean, y you hate to say – I'm not even going to say it. You know what I'm going to say. I'm not going to say it because every time somebody says some shit like that, it never happens. So I'm not going to say it. All right. Bantamweight title bout between Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz. I I, I, I actually don't know, admittedly. I don't, I, I don't know whether, like, the coronavirus is what impeded Jose Aldo from being able to fight, but Dominic Cruz is stepping in to challenge Henry Cejudo, and, I mean, I know that this fight is going to be – there's a lot of dispute over who should have gotten the title shot, and personally, I mean, I think I, – I think if – and, again, this is where, like – Dana White is probably a better businessman than a lot of hardcore fans would be, right? Because you would think that Jan Sterling or Sandhagen are is going to—they're the most deserving of the shot, right? 
But Dominic Cruz is, I mean, if you look at the resume, probably still, still the greatest bantamweight of all time. I mean, hard to argue that he's not, especially after what happened. You know, TJ Dillashaw accomplished what he accomplished, but then he got busted for steroids. There's always going to be an asterisk beside his name now for everything that he accomplished up until he writes himself right and even then you think like god damn well how much of a leap did he make just because like if you can recover you can train more and if you can train more you can like you know you can you, you get like a big jump it's he gets more time to perfect his technique and stuff like there'll always be an asterisk as sad as it is beside tj dillashaw's name which is a shame because he's an excellent fighter and uh anyway I think Dominic Cruz is still probably, if you asked most people who they thought the greatest bantamweight of all time is, it's still Cruz, and he's going to be fighting Henry Cejudo, you know? So that's, I mean, it's it's still a great fight, and again, from a business perspective, I understand why they made that matchup, because Dominic Cruz just sells better than those other three. His name is more recognizable. Um, do I think it's right? I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I probably would have given the fight to Jan Sterling or Sandhagen, one of those three. It's a hard decision between, and especially because none of them have ever fought each other. So it's kind of hard to decide. And they each have their own argument for it. But mm, I don't know. What can you do? And then finally, Justin Gaethje is stepping in to fight Tony Ferguson because Habib, you know, having trouble getting over here due to all this fucking shit. I think he went down to Abu Dhabi. And then found out that, like, he had to go home. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is he's not fighting. Fucking Ferguson versus Habib seems to be cursed, right? But the the great part about Ferguson versus Gaethje is that if it can't be Ferguson versus Habib, this is the next best thing. This is the true number one contender's bout, if anything, right? Like, I understand that Tony Ferguson is undoubtedly, as of right now, the number one contender. But these two are probably going to collide at some point anyway. And if Tony Ferguson can go out and beat Justin Gaethje, then again, it just adds to the magic when Habib and Tony fight. But if Gaethje can go in and, I mean, especially if he can finish, to or if he can finish Tony, it does so much. It, it, it makes the Habib fight so much more compelling, especially because of Gaethje's strong wrestling base. You know, so... and. <laughs> I mean, I would give the advantage to Gaethje on the feet if those two fought, I would say, right? And he, like Gaethje has maybe maybe a better takedown defense than somebody like Connor, you know what I mean? Because of the wrestling base that he has, and he just never uses it. You never get to see it. So it, it is interesting. And like I said, these guys are probably going to collide at some point anyway, so at least we're going to figure it out. It's going to be a great fucking fight, and Dana White has said that the winner is going to get Habib, so... I mean, rightfully so, right? Anyway, let's talk about some of the other fight announcements that have been made. Um, I want to get through these real quick and then kind of get on to something. Not really like Bellator or MMA, like professional MMA related, right? More just like, what are you guys doing in quarantine to keep up with like your training and shit like that? But any, I want to go through these in fight announcements real quick because there's some really interesting ones. Um, Hannah Cyphers is going to – I got all these from MMA Junkie, by the way. I don't ever pretend to be like a journalist that I'm, I'm just a fucking fan, man. I'm not like report. I'm just giving you my opinions on what the fuck everybody else reports. So I'm basically doing nothing. Right. Um, but Hannah Cyphers is going to be fighting Mackenzie Dern on May 23rd. Eric Anders is fighting Christoph Jocko on May 16th. Carl Robertson versus Marvin Vittori on May 13th. 
Arlovsky versus Felipe Linz on May 13th, and then Anthony Hernandez and Kevin Holland on May 16th. And if you're wondering, man, those events sound like they're squeezed really tight together. Like th those dates, are, they are. The UFC is going to be putting on, I think it's, it's three events in eight days, right? And then they take a one-week break before putting on the event on May 23rd. And a lot of the headliners are to be determined, but they're slowly building these cards. Um, you know, all this coronavirus shit, there's been a lot of like talk about whether Dana White is doing the right thing. And I don't want to get in to like the, the, the moral debate about whether it's right or not. Right. But I think this is what I think about Dana White. I think that if you look back over the UFC's history, Dana White just strictly always does what's best for business, whatever's best for the UFC as a brand. And you can't deny that when people have, and especially now that ten, tensions have eased up a little bit surrounding the virus, I think we're starting to find out that fatality rates are a little bit lower than we originally thought. And people are kind of wanting to get back to a normal way of life. Like people are getting fed up with the shit kind of right. And when you think about normal life, you don't realize it till it's gone, but you don't really like live sports are so ingrained into our culture. Every time you go to the bar, every time like it's on ESPN, people are, even if they're not on, people are talking about it. Right. And when it's gone, it feels like something's missing. Like I think just Amer we, we love competition. So when we, and when you get to see it, like, you know what I mean? You don't realize how weird life is without it. So what Dana White is trying to do is capitalize on that. Cause like I said, and he, he's going to get a huge audience because there are going to be so many people who are just sitting around and they're going to tune into fighting just because it's the only live sport on. There's something about it being live, right? Like you can watch, you can watch replays of the same fucking super bowl over and over and over again but it'll never be as exciting it'll never feel the same as when you're watching it live if dana white can get on he's dominating that market and he's going to get a ton of traction and like if you just look back at his track record and like the things that he's been criticized for doing it always pays off for the ufc like his decision to kind of everybody criticized him because he wanted to move to the reebok deal right and it was going to affect fighter pay and it was going to do this and it was going to do that. But I mean, they're on ESPN now, man. It, and if you look back at when, like, I, I don't, when, like, I don't know, I think about like Frankie Edgar fights and stuff. Right. And they've got all these things. He's got like his, uh, fucking iron army or whatever it is plastered all over his shorts. And it's all like, on. it, it, it looks bad, man. And I'm not, I didn't mean to call Frankie. I, I, I just thought of Frankie Edgar. Cause like, he's one of my favorite fighters. And I think back to like, well, I use I used to always made sure I turn into his fights, tune into his fights because I went to the same college as him, right? And I think about like how bad that looks compared to like the UFC, the the gear that they have now. It's like man, it's way better. It's way better. So he he's always thinking in terms of like I I think he's putting all the moral shit aside and saying what's best for the UFC, you know. And this is best for the UFC. There's no denying that people are gonna tune in and watch that shit, and he's gonna probably maybe gain some new fans. So I. Uh, it's a it, it, it's a big deal and you, you know it, it almost still feels like I feel like I'm I almost feel like it's still not real I almost feel like I'm like is this really gonna happen um but I don't know we'll see so far so good people seem to be committing to it you've got guys like Rogan announcing it Anik seems pretty excited about it on his social media and stuff so I mean it seems like it's gonna fucking happen and 
also just to, there's just so much going on on this card you know it's it almost seems too good to be true i hate to say that but we'll see we'll see i think fingers crossed right anyway assuming the fight does move oh okay no never mind i don't want to move on to breaking these down just yet i wanted to talk real quick about um what you guys are doing to kind of and leave some shit in the comments right but i want to know what you guys are kind of doing to keep up with training during quarantine and um this has kind of been my these are my thoughts on it i've kind of been like going over it right now I, I think that a lot of people like probably don't have the ability to do anything but drill right and i think that a lot of people kind of neglect drilling and opt to roll but your mechanics and closing and like tightening up those movements and stuff is super important and just being able to you know it's like the muscle memory. So I think that this is a good time to like grab a grappling dummy, right? And focus on drilling. And I know some people have the advantage of maybe their spouse or um, maybe their uh, like roommate or something practices as well. And they're able, like, that's obviously better. If you have a training partner, it's obviously better than just using a dummy because you get a little bit of resistance. But like my advice to people who can't do that and are maybe kind of concerned about those people like, jumping way in front of you i don't think it's quite like that like i think that they have the advantage of you know obviously getting live they're getting like live reactions from the person so they get a better and they're getting a better sense of whether their moves are working or not right and you it, it, there's just something about using a dummy that's still not quite real but um i still think there's a lot to gain from using the dummy and you got to remember too that like it's not like they can go, even people who can train with somebody else, it's not like they can go. I'm just bringing this up because me, myself, like I've thought about this shit, right? I'm like, damn, it would be really nice to have a drilling partner. Like I don't have the luxury of having one, right? I can't, like, I just don't have one. Um, like my fiance doesn't do it and I don't have a roommate who's interested in it, right? Um, and maybe I'm justifying this here, but like, because I'm not admitting, I'm not denying that it's better. It's definitely better to have a live partner, 100%, no doubt about it. Like there's, there's, like I said, there's no simulating that, but for people who don't have it, I would just say not to get too discouraged because like what you get with a gym membership really is looks with different people and people who have different styles and different games developed and there, there are different levels. There's purple belt, like, you know what I mean? There's, there's different body types and there's so much that you get at a gym and then you get I, like, I know our gym is experimenting with doing live zoom classes and they're working pretty well but it's not the same as having an instructor that are correcting things while he's watching you live you know what i mean that you're just losing something there still and um they've still been a big help like anything is better than nothing right but nothing replaces the gym atmosphere like that's what you get when you go to the gym you couldn't become a black belt just training with two people in your fucking garage you know well i mean theoretically maybe right but you get what i'm saying um don't it's not like people are going to be jumping from you know blue to purple belt over this quarantine while you're just stuck behind like i i think kind of the most important thing going into this are going to be the people who kept up with their mechanics and the people who just in conditioning as well you know what i mean and trying to trying to simulate what it's going to be like to go back and have to like roll again man because have you ever taken a break from jujitsu and then you go back and roll and you're like holy like one round you're like man I forgot what I forgot. Like you forget how quickly you get, like you can, you can lose your cardio anyway. Um, so I've been, I've, I've been trying to work. My main, my main takeaway from that rant is I've just been trying to work on drilling 
And like I said, our, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that we do have live classes and we have a professor and he's taking you through some drills. You know what I mean? So he's giving you some guidance and he can kind of see you and point you in the right direction. But there's so many variables, right? Like is the camera pointing at me? Can you actually see what I'm doing? Can a whole bunch of shit, right? That just complicates things and makes it more difficult. But, um, and then another thing that I've been focusing on is I like, this is just my opinion, but when you watch like a UFC fight, it's easier to follow the jujitsu and stuff that they're doing. I don't want to say it's watered down, but it's more fundamental because it has to be, because it has to be more honest because you can get hit in the fucking face if not. Right. Like you see people try to tie up leg locks all the time and the guy's just like, Oh fuck you cracks him in the face. Like sport jujitsu is a different game than MMA. But when you, I, I think that it's easier to, for me at least, especially being at the level I'm at, like I would, I'm a white belt. So I've been doing jujitsu for like four years. Um, so I'm like familiar with it, right? Like I'm not, I'm by no means great at it, but I'm, I, I think I'm proficient at it. And I have, I, I have trouble though. When I watch guys who are, when I say proficient, I mean, for like, for my experience, I don't mean like I get stomped by like a lot of people, right? Like, I don't mean by any means that I'm good at jujitsu. I just mean like, I kind of know what's going on, right? Like I can defend myself. Um, but when you watch MMA, you can watch things develop more slowly and you can realize what people are doing wrong and what they're doing right more easily. Whereas when I watch like advanced competition matches, gi or no gi, sometimes I watch them and I'm so lost because it's pure sport jujitsu and there aren't really like consequences. So things at that level, things can expand. So there are exceptions, right? Like some people rely on fundamentals almost solely, but it expands into this thing that's so far detached from fundamentals, you know, that I, and just me personally, I'm not a fan of a bunch of fancy shit. I just like things that work. And like, I think that if you watch people who are really great at jujitsu, it's not that they like Damian Myers and stuff like that. And, uh, it's not necessarily like you get people like Bryce Mitchell who are implementing, he's on this card that we're going to break down, right? They implement that shit really, really well. But a lot of guys like Damian Pia, Damian Maya just have a path to your back and he finishes you from there. You know what I mean? It's just solid fundamental jujitsu, but he just, it's like shoring up the little things, the little tiny details that you might be missing when you're, uh, when you're rolling. Right. So, um, that's what try to pay attention to that kind of stuff. And I, I like watching MMA for that reason, because it's, it's almost slowed down because like I said, things are just a little bit more honest. You get a more honest feel of what, how your jujitsu would apply in a fight. And for that reason, it tends to be more fundamental than fancy. You get guys like Gary Tonin coming in that I think are kind of going to, he'll revolutionize it and then it'll go back. Like people will find a way to defend it and then it'll kind of even back out. That seems to be how the game works. But, um, yeah, those are my thoughts on kind of like keeping sharp and trying to just, what can you do to, I mean, you can obviously watch tutorials and stuff on YouTube and stuff too, right? Just let me know what you guys are doing in the comments. I want to know what you guys are doing to keep up with your training and to stay sharp during all this bullshit. Um, all right, let's move on to breaking this, uh, early pre these early prelims down finally. Right. First up, we've got Sam Alvey fighting Ryan Spann and Ryan Spann debuted, uh, against Luis Henrique, won a unanimous decision. I think he was, he, he's a Dana White contender series veteran. And um, right now he's riding a pretty impressive win streak of uh, 
He's 17 and five and he has won. Let's see, two, four, six, seven fights in a row. Um, He's actually got 11 submissions on his record. And I think that his striking is so aggressive and like things come, he's coming straight down the pipe at you with shit and he has some serious power. And I think people then tend to want to wrestle him and take him to the ground. Like you saw that in the Henrique fight. Uh, you saw that in the Devin Clark fight. Devin Clark wanted to like, wanted to take him down and wrestle him, but they sleep on his jujitsu because I think his striking is like, they realize how sharp it is and then they want to take him down and then they get, they're like, holy fuck, his jujitsu is really good too. So I think people tend to sleep on that a little bit. Um, I don't think though that Sam Alvey is going to be the kind of guy who's hunting for a takedown and seeing what he's seen from span, like knowing that span has 11 out of a 17 wins via submission. I don't think he's going to be trying to drag this to the ground. Sam Alvey's more of a counter puncher. He's going to be backing up and, you know, waiting for you to come in, waiting for you to make a mistake. And then he, people sleep on Sam Alvey with a stand up though. Right. Cause he doesn't, if you look at him, he's not intimidating. He's not sculpted like a Greek God or anything, but he can fight, man. He's, he's very good. People underestimate this man a lot. And he is a very, he, he packs some serious power in his hands and he's a gifted counter striker. Now you saw, you've seen recently, he suffered a string of, I think it's three defeats in a row. Uh, the last one came against Clidson Abreu, the one before that against Jimmy Crute. And that the, the Jimmy Crute one is one that made me, it, the way he came, the way he came in and the punch that got him dropped was, he was like faking with. I can't remember exactly. He was faking with one and trying to come up over the top with the other. But Jimmy Crute just sent, I think, a right hand straight down the fucking middle and dropped him, and that's kind of what kicked things off. Kind of a questionable stoppage. Uh, Sam Alvey got pissed off afterwards. That I believe it was Mark, Mark Goddard that refereed that. But <sighs> you that worries me because Ryan Spann is so precise and he does fight behind the jab. And like when you watch his knockout over uh, and Antonio Rogerio Nogueira, right? Cray, I mean, he fires off a right hand and then he fires it up off again and then comes through with the left, the, I think the left uppercut and knocks him out. And it's like, man, it may, when you, there's, I think there's going to be a speed difference and I think it's going to be hard. Sam Alvey's going to be looking for those counters, but span comes forward and he's so aggressive and he comes just, like I said, straight down the pipe and he's so good at heading guys off. I don't know if Sam Alvey's going to be able to slip out of the way. I think there's going to be a significant speed difference. Um, also the fact that span is riding a seven fight win streak and Alvey's on a three fight losing streak is making me want to lean towards span. I think that I just think that Span is go, he he's going to have the advantage on the ground. I think, like I said, I think his jujitsu is very solid, and I also just think that his forward pressure is going to be overwhelming for Alvy. I think Alvy's going to try to like he's going to be trying to play the counter game, but Span has a really good gauge of distance and timing. Not that Alvy doesn't, but Alvy's going to be coming out wide to counter, and Span keeps his hands up and fights behind the jab. Well, I think he's going to eventually find home for. Uh, for the power shot. And I think he'll put, I think he's going to finish Alvy in this fight. Um, good matchup though. And like I said, don't sleep on Sam Alvy just cause he's lost three in a row. Like, I mean, 
in a lot of his fights that he'll lose, he'll hurt the person. Like I, I actually, he might have dropped Jimmy Crute in their fight. I can't fucking remember now. But he'll, he, he's competitive and he's dangerous, man. So uh, and also don't keep in mind the fact that he's desperate right now. If you're riding. A, uh, I want to see how many losses. Yeah, th- he's riding a three-fight losing. He's on a three-fight losing streak, man. So, you know, he's a cornered animal. You don't want to. You don't want to sleep on him. He can definitely put you out. Uh, let's move on to. Man, Vicente Luque and Nico Price is a great fight too. But out of these, I- I'm really interested in this fight right here. Uh, Bryce Mitchell versus Charles Rosa. This is kind of like the Civil War, right? You got a guy from Arkansas. And you got a guy from Boston and uh, both very prideful of their hometowns and both very talented and very unorthodox and both really, really high level grapplers. This is a really exciting fight. Um, When you watch Charles Rosa, his people don't want to go to the ground with him, but his striking is so unorthodox and so wild and so like that it's effective. I mean, like, he, he, he implements it pretty well, you know. He, this is a guy who fought to a split decision with Yair Rodriguez. And uh, Yair had the clear advantage on the feet, I think. I think Charles Rosa learned from that because when you watch him fight Kyle Bokniak, he's starting to throw some spinning stuff. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, Yair had the clear advantage on the feet, but when it went to the ground, it was all Charles Rosa, you know. And uh, he's got... I don't know how many submission wins on his record. He's a black belt in jujitsu. And I, I like I like when guys have a specialty in something. And then this is what I really like about Charles Rosa. Maybe my favorite thing about him. I like that he's a black belt in jujitsu, right? And I like that he knows that striking isn't going to be his strong point. And it's not that his striking is not technical. But, like, I like that he finds a way to compensate for that by being unpredictable and kind of wild and throwing shots from angles that guys aren't really expecting, right? And they're not really seeing. And he it, he finds a way to make it work. And then it sets up his jiu-jitsu because it's, it allows him to work in takedowns and stuff. Charles Rose is really well-rounded, man, really good fighter. And that fight against Yair Rodriguez, I mean, especially if it goes five rounds and it maybe starts leaning towards the grappler because his cardio starts kicking in, you never know, man. So uh, definitely a lot of potential in this guy. He also fought Shane Burgos. Burgos, I mean, just outpointed him over the course of the fight mainly. But I think that, I mean, Charles Rosa found success in that fight. And then Manny Bermudez, who's a very good wrestler, took him down. And uh, Rosa hit him with an arm bar off the back. So, I mean, he his only three losses are to Shane Burgos, Yari Rodriguez, and Dennis Seaver, who at that point, he, I mean, that was his UFC debut. And Dennis Seaver is a veteran, man. So, I mean, that's a tough fight. That's a tough fight to come in and take for your UFC debut. And uh, his losses are all to really notable names and guys with a lot of promise. And he's taken on Bryce Mitchell, who is uh, – he was on that season of tw- Tough 27. And um, I think they used to list his I, – I could swear that if you go to one of his fight pass fights, they'll list his record as like 12-1 and one or 11-1 and one or something. But – He's listed on like Wikipedia, uh, topology and shit like that. It's as 12 and 0. Um, his most recent fight was that twister that he pulled off against Matt Sales. Uh, he picked up a unanimous decision went over Bobby Moffat before that in a fight where they had some crazy grappling transitions and just two guys who really knew what they were doing on the ground got to go at it. And um, then he beat Tyler Diamond, 
via majority decision at the Tough 27 finale. I think Brad Katona won Tough 27, and Brad Katona also beat Bryce Mitchell in an exhibition match, I believe, on The Ultimate Fighter. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And uh, anyway, Bryce Mitchell, really talented. He uses some really creative – everything about his game is creative. You know, he's really good on the feet, really smooth, really good footwork. Um, and then when it goes to the ground, he's got nasty jiu-jitsu. And it's, like I said, his, his ground game is super creative. And it's going to be – this is a really hard fight to pick because Charles Rosa is a black belt, and obviously his game is very advanced as well. Um, but Bryce Mitchell sometimes, like sometimes the purple belt will catch – I don't know what rank Bryce Mitchell is, but sometimes the purple belt will get the black belt. And sometimes it, it, it's like Bryce Mitchell might have that creativity factor. You know what I mean? Like where he's he's a little more – willing to experiment with his game i don't know i don't know sometimes that shit happens and sometimes because of that you can you can catch guys and things that maybe they haven't seen before right you're gonna get a really really interesting grappling matchup in these two if it goes to the ground um i don't think it's like they're gonna go down there and one's gonna completely dominate the other i think it's gonna be i think this battle is gonna be won in like the in-between moments like, you know what I mean? Like the little moments in between all these grappling exchanges, like maybe things like who's doing more damage and like who's maybe threatening with the submissions more. And then obviously I think I'm going to give the slight edge to Bryce Mitchell on the feet. And then I'm going to give the slight edge to Charles Rose on the ground. But like I said, don't sleep on the creativity of Mitchell on the ground. And uh, if it goes there, I think it could go either way. You know what I mean? I, I would I would lean towards Rosa given his experience and the fact that he's a black belt, blah, blah, blah. But it's not like Mitchell couldn't finish the fight somehow from there. So really fucking interesting fight. I'm I'm going with Bryce Mitchell just because I think that, um, that he's going to be a little bit faster and he'll have a little bit more snap on the end of his strikes. And I think that will allow him to implement like an offensive jujitsu game, maybe at some point, maybe get some takedowns. And uh, I think uh, this is such a fucking, t I've gone back and forth on this one so much, but I'm going with Bryce Mitchell. I think it'll be a decision though. I think he's going to have a hard time finishing Rosa, but I think, like I said, I think that'll be like those little moments. And I think that I, uh, I think Bryce will have a slight advantage on the feet. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm going Bryce Mitchell via decision, but that's a that fight is so fucking close. Great matchup. All right, and the last one we're going to talk about today is number 13 ranked Vicente Luque, who is 17-7 and 1, and he's taking on Nico Price, who's 14-3 and 0, and he's got a no contest thrown in there as well. Uh Vicente Luque is coming off of a loss to Stephen Thompson, but before that, he was riding a seven-fight win streak. And uh Oh, no, I'm sorry. Two, four, a six-fight win streak. And Nico Price is on that list. So is Chad LaPriest, Jalen Turner, Brian Barbarina, Derek Krantz, Mike Perry. Now, the problem with that is that there's nobody truly elite. Like at the top heap of the division until you run into Stephen Thompson. And Stephen Thompson handled him pretty well, right? But I just don't think Vicente Luque is there yet. Just not quite yet. Um, I think he's a top 10 fighter. But I just don't think he's quite ready to crack into that top five. I think he will be with a little bit of work, though. I mean, he's very fucking good, very dangerous. Um, 
but yeah, the the fir- this is a rematch from the first time that Vicente Luque and Nico Price fought. Uh, Luque caught him in a darsh, and since then, Nico Price has gone on to do some pretty impressive and th- impressive things as well. Though you know, Nico Price has uh, that win over Randy Brown where he caught his foot behind his head and knocked him out with strikes from the bottom. He has an up kick win over James Vick off of his back. Crazy. The way he finds insane ways to win. He knocked out Tim Means, lost to Jeff Neal in a fight where there was almost a double knockout. And uh where he actually just it, that that fight kind of came down to grappling. Uh Jeff Neal just had a grappling advantage. Uh Knocked out by Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who, by the way, is a killer. If you're wondering where he is, where he is, he was accused of rape, and then he was actually just recently found not guilty. So I think you'll be seeing his name around again. He's a very promising prospect at welterweight. Um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, Nico Price Vicente Luque, great matchup. I love this rematch because, like I said, Nico Price has gone on to do so many impressive things since then, as has Vicente Luque, and I feel like they're two different fighters now. They're much more refined, and I think that Nico Price has kind of found his identity a little bit. Like, I think he's leaned in more to the fact that he is fucking kind of crazy and, like, that he does get these wild finishes, you know? I think it there's something about, like, discovering that about yourself, and, like, I think he's he's probably always known it, but it's, like, a self-realization thing, you know, and he's implementing it better now. He's, like, turned a corner in a sense, and Vicente Luque is, I mean, his striking is very, very technically sound. He fights heavy on the front foot. He likes to press forward, and he likes to come straight down the pipe with everything. One of the weapons that you really got to watch out for, and he throws it all the time, is his um, flying knee, he sets, he's always looking to set up his flying knee, and he's got a really good understanding of timing and distance and range. One thing that you will notice and that I think if I think Nico Price will probably pick up on is that you can tag Vicente Luque when he's coming in on his entries. After he throws his combos, he's got very good head movement, very good footwork. He gets out easily, and he gets in b- back in position to throw more strikes. Like, But sometimes you can catch him on the way in. He's very good on his exits, but he's a little bit like – he's lacking a little bit of head movement on his entries. And Nico Price, like you look at the Tim Means knockout, that's he caught Tim Means coming in a little lazy, and he's got serious knockout power, so he might be looking to exploit that. I'm actually leaning towards Vicente Luque in this fight because of the fact that I don't like what I saw from, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. The upkick was fucking awesome that he landed against James Vick, but I don't like what I saw from him on the ground against Jeff Neal. And I don't like what I saw on the ground from him against Vick. And I think that um, if Luque fights, if he Luque backs Nico Price up in this fight, gets his back against the cage and like uses his strikes to set up the takedown. Maybe I think that you got to remember, man, Vicente Luque has six submissions on his record and nine knockouts. So he's, he's well-versed in, you know what I mean? He, it's not like he doesn't have a submission game, man. He can tap you out. Um, I actually wouldn't be surprised if you saw Vicente, Lu- Lu- like I said, Luque try to cut off that space and, uh, maybe turn this into more of a grappling heavy exchange because he thinks he has an advantage there. Um, If I'm Nico price, I'm trying to keep my back off the cage. I'm trying to keep space in between myself and him because I'm explosive. My knockout. I feel like that's how I I, I generate 
power on these like kind of wider looping shots. Nico Price, very technical. Again, uh, I, I don't know if you call him unorthodox, but the way the angle that he throws things at and like his timing on things is just a little bit different. Like the, it's unique. He has a unique style. It'd be a good way to put it. And it, um, if he leverages it, and like I said, the self-realization thing, when he leverages it effectively, he's very dangerous. So I think his the key is going to be a lot of movement, staying in space, and uh, trying to land that shot that hurts Luke. Because I don't think that Nico Price is going to have an advantage on the ground. It's not like he's going to be going for takedowns. And like I said, I think Luke is going to be one of he's going to want to march him down and establish his hit. He wants to get the striking range in his in his world. He wants it to be in his world, not Nico's. So that means closing off the space and keeping things tight and negating the power shots, right? And then maybe looking for the for the takedown, I don't know, or engaging in the clinch. But I'm leaning towards Vicente Luque in this fight just because I think that he does have an advantage on the ground and in grappling, and I just think that his style is going to – it's a little more favorable in this matchup because I think that he'll just be able to, like, stay high and tight, march Nico down and – find success that way i'm going vicente luque i don't know if we'll be able to finish him it might just be a kind of fight where he wears on nico and beats up on him but uh yeah i like i like luque maybe i don't know man luque could get it done any nico price if nico price wins i think it'll be by knockout i don't think nico price will beat luque up over the course of three rounds but i think if luque wins he could win by submission knockout or uh decision but I think that does it. I think that wraps up the uh, early prelims. Like I said, I'm going to put another one of these out on Saturday. Um, make sure you guys hit subscribe. Leave me some comments below, suggestions, whatever. Throw whatever you want in there. Just if you want to bullshit about the fights, throw it in there. Uh, yeah, subscribe. Like uh, If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. This is available on YouTube as well. And obviously for YouTube viewers, vice versa, if you don't want to watch the video. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and I will catch you next time. Bye-bye.